0: This is the Irish MMA podcast. I'm Mick Bauer, and I'm joined by the administrative editor of Sherdo.com, Mr. Jordan Breen. All right, Jordan. It's It's a pleasure pleasure to be talking talking to you again. It's It's been been too long. It's been too long. 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 Absolutely. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to run the rule over this weekend's UFC Fight Night 37 card in London. But before we do that, I mean, we're in a new era of the UFC. You know, they used to come along once a month, once every few weeks. Now, it's every week almost in these far-flung places. We've got this fight pass thing, which don't mean much to us over on this side of the pond. But obviously, in the U.S., it's the only way to see a lot of stuff now. So, Jordan, how is the new era of the UFC playing? First of all, did uh, did you just call London a far-flung place? place? That, that, seems, that seems mean. mean. No, I'm, I, will, I will talk about <laughs> the, the other far-flung places like Singapore and Macau and stuff. Oh, oh, that's, that's racist. racist. No, it's a fact. It's a fact. <laughs> it's a fact. The, globe, just... the globe might be drawn wrong, as the West Wing pointed out to us, but it is far-flung.
1: So uh, I would say it's playing uh, thusly. People, people with the amount of even MMA product we got last year, UFC included, were already starting to pick and choose, call their spots, decide what stuff was worth watching live, what stuff was worth buying, what stuff was worth looking for highlights online. People kind of recalibrated the way they were consuming MMA. And I think this is kind of further iteration of that. Uh, this is obviously more pleasantly timed for North Americans than a card in Singapore from Macau. There's a big difference between you know, getting up at 4 or 5 in the morning Pacific time and uh, maybe getting up at 9, 10 a.m., 11 a.m for a European card. But the fight pass issue is the one that works here. I mean, if this was something that was on FS1 in the afternoon, we wouldn't have too much bitching or fetching about it. We've got lots of complaints about this because of two key factors. One, it's headlined by Alexander Gustafsson, who's a wonderful fighter, and coming off the best performance of his career, against the best fighter in mixed martial arts, In at worst, the best UFC heavyweight title fight ever. If not, oh, right, the best UFC title fight ever. Uh, so in light of that, we have this man going from that stage, that profile, to fighting behind an internet paywall, which is the second part when it comes to the Fight Pass. People just haven't been super receptive yet. Um, I, I would imagine, like all sort of uh, business proposals,
0: MMA, online, uh,
1: digital platforms, no different. You should under-promise and uh, you know, over-deliver. And they did exactly the opposite because Fight Pass is something that they eventually hope will be you know, their way to distribute international pay-per-view and make sure people all over the world can see the product because they have hopes of getting their entire own library on there and making it accessible for fans. I mean, that's lofty shit to be putting out there and getting people excited. And when they launch the thing over the first few months, I mean, the functionality just isn't there yet. It just doesn't work the way that you'd want it to. It doesn't have that full functionality yet. They're doing a better job in the library. I saw the other night they added a WEC two. Uh, those first three WEC events have always been very very hard to find. Uh, so that's the kind of stuff that MMA fans want to see, and I think would please hardcore's. But there's still a ways behind on Fight Pass simply because the nature of launching something that expansive it takes time. You see this with all companies. You see like you know major media that's redesigned redesign their websites or launch different parts of it. Uh, Nothing in this world, this now, 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 got to get it up on the internet, got to meet this deadline, got to get embedded advertising, all that shit, nothing ever gets launched 100%. This is uh, a beta version, to say the least. So uh, as for people's international consumption now... People, I think, are, are largely turned off by the fight pass experience at this point in time. But if the UFC can tweak it over the future, who knows? Maybe people just become more receptive over time and become cooler with the idea of,
0: yeah, whatever, pay 10 bucks
1: a month. Maybe I'll get up at you know noon hour and watch Justice and Plunk in the face.
0: Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think amongst what you could loosely call the hardcore fraternity, there was this idea that you had to watch everything, you know, like everything that the UFC did, you know. Was That's important. done. That is over, isn't it? You know, and surely that's the UFC's plan. If you're putting on sort of forty-five, fifty, whatever it is, fight nights a year, you can't realistically convince people that every one of these is worth watching. Exactly, that that, that really that, is, it. is it. Like, like that's the, the long and
1: short, short of it. it. Like people people always um, draw these mm-hmm. kind, kind of like changing abstract lines, and they like, oh, well, this is. good isn't like super relevant whatever well there's a debate you can debate whether or not like this guy will be a contender if he's going somewhere if this guy's going to be a title shot but we're to a point in the ufc product now where it's there's no questions asked you're watching a ton of fights that you simply know these guys will never compete in a relevant ufc fight
0: they're here for the sake
1: of being here they are bodies they might last three fights six fights ten fights but these dudes, if they stick around, it's just going to be a testament to how big the UFC roster is now, and how some guys can slip through the cracks and maintain their employment. So it is much harder to sell. It. I mean, I'm I'm someone who, because I have to watch all this shit, I'm willing to look for a silver lining all over the place. And just over the course of this, you know, two months already, I'm watching so many fights where I just think, even if I wanted to believe you could somehow be in a relevant main card fight at some point in your career, I can't see it. And I'm watching.
0: Dozens, dozens of these guys a month yeah i mean like surely like the idea behind it as far as i can see is to genuinely spread the word because yeah. it do not matter about what quality a fight is if it's on uh, for us normally it's like four or five o'clock in the morning you're only going to get a real hard call. and you look at the numbered ufc events that's shown on bt sport the prelims with not great fights on, get a bigger rating than the actual like main event fights that people should be interested in, and you look at the European expansion, which this this was quite bizarre. I mean Gary Cook, who as you, we talked about in the past, I am in awe of. I think he's a marketing genius and the man who'll take the UFC to the next level. It's like he came out in Manchester. Last year, and he talked about all these plans about we're gonna this we're gonna London, and he outlined all about London, Istanbul. We're gonna Berlin. We're gonna Stockholm. Talked about we're gonna have these fixed places. Talked about titles and that, and it was like so they have got this fantastic plan in place, and then it's kind of like beyond this London. Today, this morning, they've announced uh, Berlin for May the thirty first. But for this whole build-up, there's been nothing else really mentioned. And then, like today, Gary Cook's talked about uh, they're going to Glasgow next year. They're maybe going to do different toughs around the place, you know, like sort of UK and Ireland tough. I think he talked about maybe a Russian tough, which would be very exciting at the moment. Maybe if he did Russia v Ukraine, that would really get some eyes on it. But it seemed like they had this rock-solid plan but then it's kind of fizzled out again and now we're coming up with some new stuff it's just quite confusing i think it's hard for them to some extent to, to book the
1: european cards as easily as they want um not only did trust and in expanding all, all over the place and doing, doing cards in asia and popping up the market there and whatever like like compared to canada are compared to Brazil. They don't have... It. like They can do a pay-per-view from Brazil. They can do a pay-per-view from Canada. It doesn't matter. They can put their biggest guns out somewhere... That makes a strategic gate sense or they can target a city or a market they haven't gone to or whatever in North America or South America and still sell them on pay-per-view. They can put guys who have pay-per-view points on the card. They're not going to get pissed off. Simply because of the time difference, it always makes a massive difference when it comes to – I mean, you're booking European cards and you want to say, we want to hit all these big cities well, you want to hit a big city, you want to make a good impression, do like an 18,000, 20,000-seat arena, like, like how are you going to fill it up? Because realistically, if you're booking a European UFC card, you, you just have to hope that... When they get a date on paper, there's just some half decent fight that makes sense, like Gustafsson Manua in this particular case. Uh, you're not; you're, it's hard for Britain to get title fights. The only way I can imagine, like a UK card or, or a card uh, in in Europe, getting a considerable title fight anytime soon, or like a marquee kind of fight, is if it's like a lower weight class thing or someone who's exceptional but just coming. To prominence or something like that, you know. Maybe you know Fox can run a card slightly earlier, and Demetrius Johnson can headline against Brad Pickett or something like that. We get a Fox card from England or something like that in the future. But outside of that, it's just hard to get like major stars and major fights to go on in Europe for a lot of the you know financial and incentive-based reasons that I just mentioned. And because of that, it's hard to book like major arenas, make a big splash, really get in good with local sports figures and politicians and the kind of people that you would normally canoodle with to make these things happen. It's just Europe is treated like a kind of third-class citizen simply because of how the UFC do business. Pay-per-view still matters in a major way, and really their domestic television deal is still what, what kind of binds them in this mold.
0: Yeah, I mean, talking of television deals, the uh, the way the UFC does business, because on some levels, the UFC is the slickest operation in town, you know, and you think, you know, those guys are like tuned into everything. But then, like, the TV deal, like in, in the UK, especially, they went with BT Sport, which was an interesting decision. It were kind of like in another sports channel ghetto, like they've been in with Satanta, like they've been in with ESPN that had gotten nowhere. So they, they were locked into that, but BT, BT Sport. You know, to speak up for him, I've put a lot of programming on that ESPN never did, done original programming, and now with the European Middle East shows, we're going to have, like, John Gooden doing the commentary, Dan Hardy with him, and some new announcer guy who all the blogs in America have been announcing as, like, some kind of famous person who nobody on this side of the Atlantic's ever heard of. This I, I don't can't remember his name you know I'm sure he's a nice guy and everything but he's always announced as the is is the announcer for the England soccer games at Wembley Stadium and obviously that don't mean anything I mean you know you don't have a you don't have somebody like Bruce Buffer standing at the end of the tunnel, like, you know. And on, on my left hand side, we have, like, you know. <laughs> that so was, dude, he, he, people you just always wonder. People wonder how you can spice football
1: up for, like, a North American audience. Maybe that's what a North American audience needs. Maybe, maybe Fox needs to get Bruce Buffer to do, like, you know, you show a Champions League game or a Premier League game. Maybe they need, like, a Bruce Buffer, like, <laughs> figure.
0: Yeah, but they've, like, sort of done that, but, like, sort of, just this last about 10 days ago, they've announced that this card is going to be live on Channel 5, which is a free-to-air network all over Great Britain. You know, it is a big deal, but obviously they haven't had time to promote it, really. And Ch- Channel 5, if you if you compare Channel 5 to Sky Sports when it comes to boxing, because Channel 5 is the only network channel that shows boxing, if you have a big fight, non-pay-per-view on Sky Sports on a Saturday night, you maybe get about 150000 $200,000, 3 if it's a really good fight. Channel 5 put on James DeGale fighting somebody at the Blue Water Shopping Centre and get nearly a million. They put Tyson Fury on, who obviously, I'm sure you love as much as we love. You put Tyson Fury on, you get, you're get getting like a million and a half. No problem. You know, and the, the, this is just because it's free to air. It's on at a decent time, so this—if they'd had longer time to push it, this could be a really big deal. It'd be—I'm going to be absolutely fascinated by the viewing figures that it gets on Saturday night.
1: Well, I mean, the fact of the matter is, you can't underestimate network television in other countries. Like, I think
0: network television
1: always sounds good, but in North America, people can lose sight of the fact that. Even in places where there's more channels available, there's still, like, large stretches of the world where a lot of people just rock to network television. I mean, North America is kind of gluttonous with its appetites for television and cable. Even, even if you're the kind of person who's like, oh, I hate my cable package. It sucks. You probably still have, like, 60 to 100 and something channels. You know what I mean, like, it's, it's absolutely crazy. Uh, there's large vast stretches in the world where a network television deal simply means that, like, people are choosing between, like, three and 23 options, if not less, and you're going to be one of them. And also, uh, I think it's nice for the UFC to be on network television in places where, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, uh, as, a, as an internal operator and outsider. But you, you Brits, so you actually like watch television on Saturday night. Like isn't Strictly Come Dancing and shit on Saturday night in Britain and stuff?
0: That's Strictly Come Dancing in the X Factor. Uh, the, yeah, so the, like. The biggest shows on TV.
1: Yeah, so like shit people care about. Yeah, um, like, so you actually have like a culture around watching TV on Saturday night. Like Saturday night in North America. Uh, I'm a 26-year-old man. You ask me about, hey, what uh, what's Saturday night television like in America? Rerun uh, to Cops. Reruns of America's Most Wanted, reruns of like Walker, Texas Ranger, uh, like uh, music channels running, you know, top 80 of the 80s shit from VH1. Like that started programming. It's like rehashed, filler, you know, brainless programming that maybe if you're lucky you get like some voyeuristic car crash type violence or whatever. But it's mostly people being arrested, getting drunk, participating (laughs) in reality shows or live sporting events. So, where there's actually a culture around watching television on Saturday night, people with remote controls are in their hand. Because, look, you might be someone who gives a massive shit about celebrities dancing, but, you no, know, Brad Pickett comes up in his trophy hat during a commercial break, starts throwing some haymakers on boys. Maybe you stick around for five, ten minutes, watch the post fight interview. That shit matters. And that's an option that you don't really have. You're buried people
0: way deep in the satellite and cable channels, sports, cable hell. Yeah, I mean, Gary Cook last year in Manchester, when he was talking about the European plans, he did float the idea of going Friday nights because, like, all his research, and he is, as I like to reiterate, a marketing genius. All his research is that in, like, the UK especially, but across Europe, women control remote controllers on Saturday night, whereas men have them on a Friday. So I think the master plan that may be Friday nights... Hey, if, if like that's, that's, what that's what I'm talking about, if, if that's the culture, if,
1: if there's something there to support that idea,
0: awesome. So be it. Then again, Dana White's so fond
1: of coming out and just parroting bullshit statistics about how much women love the UFC. So like, wait, maybe it is Saturday
0: night. <laughs> okay, so just just to move on, to the actual card, which I'm very excited about. I'm going to be there. Can't wait. Uh, is there anything, I don't want to like sort of do the full like sheer dog round table in depth thing that you're so like adept at Jordan. But is there anything jumps off the prelims at you either fantastic or terrible?
1: Uh, Well, there's There's definitely potential for, for for some some terrible or at least sloppy. Sloppy. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like it's. no,
0: no. I'm going to cut you off man. In a minute. Come on.
1: I, (laughs) I, I do think, though, that uh, there's no one, like, I don't think there's anyone on this card that it's it's just, like, glaring, like, oh, geez this is bad. Like, there's some fights, like, like, Danny Mitchell, Igor, I know Danny Mitchell's your boy, but, like, Danny Mitchell, Igor, Rougeau, like, this is something that, like, I expect to see in Cage Wars, like, real talk. Like, that's that's where you expect to see a fight like that, like, Bama or whatever the case might be. Um... But the state of the UFC now is that this is the kind of stuff on the European card. But there's no one on this card where you look at it, it's just like, oh, geez, look out, get the gong ready. Uh, most of the fights are, are pretty well made, even if we end up with some sloppy ones. I think it's on account of, well, I mean, some of what we see through a lot of undercard fights now and contributing to a lot of these things going to decision. Um, we're seeing guys who are just like less than superbly skilled being tightly, evenly matched. Sometimes it doesn't look super appealing. But I do think a lot of the undercard has, you know, shit you can get hyped up about. Um, Luis Gabino, Phil Harris, no reason. That shouldn't be particularly exciting. Roland Lorm, Dave Grandin, both really good grapplers. Should be a, a, a joyful fight to watch, however long it lasts. Get a Luke Barnett cameo. Gunnar Nelson, I think, is obviously the height of all of that stuff. If there's a fighter to care about on the undercard, who could actually really push it, be a serious contender. Desilating the kid's the one. But, but he's such an, an enigma, wrapped in a mystery, wrapped, wrapped in a riddle, wrapped, wrapped in whatever else, else. that uh, I don't mm-hmm. know, you mm-hmm. kinda of mm-hmm. gotta cock your head sideways and really appeal your eyes yeah. yeah.
0: a little bit. Yeah. I mean like Danny Mitchell Igor Araujo, it's like last time I I seen your many ago, I think it was last time he fought in Britain, it were on uh, it when Cage Warriors did a collaboration with M One in Nottingham and Jimmy Wall had just absolutely destroyed him in about a minute. And like I know he's got like a fantastic record since then and all that, but you know when, when you see something like right in front of your eyes and you see the horror of the beating and that, like, <laughs> you know it, it sticks with you more. You know rather than watching it like you know on a twenty-six inch, forty-inch screen or what have you, when you're actually getting the like snot flying into your face often <laughs> when they're getting like grounded and pounded to death, it sticks with you. So you know I think he might get steamrolled. I I, I know Danny like I. As you say, I know him. I've like spent some time at the gym with him and stuff. And he's hyped up, and he's like, he's so into his mantra that he's been doing. He's like, I'm sick of these boring undercard UFC fighters who are just trying to get a W to stay on the card. I want well, some spectacular it, it, shit.
1: <laughs> well, that's that's unlucky for him because Ivar Arujo is one of those dudes. Ivar like, Arujo is going to try to take him down and just ruin his day. Like, Dan, Dan Mitchell better hope he got like some real thing. I know he pulled out that twister last year or whatever and he's got some sassy grappling, but he's going to need to have some of that because otherwise Ivar Arujo is just going to try to take him down and help
0: him to that. Yeah. Uh, it's like I said, I, I like the Phil Harris guarding, guarding our fight as well. I think there's some value there. I mean – the, the one that puzzles me really is like Cyril De Beauty against Latifi. You know, it's sort of, uh, it just screams contractual obligation at me. I don't know. It's, it, why, it's hang not, on. why are you, 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 you know, know the answer. answer. You, you just said it. Why do you have,
1: have to express to this level of disbelief? disbelief? Like, what's, what's happening? happening? Do they just all these guys <laughs> fights? Yes, you know <laughs> that's why this is happening.
0: What, you <laughs> think, think the winner of this fight isn't it, is it heading yonder? <laughs> <laughs> Where this fight isn't getting
1: ready to be in a reserve fight of a yeah, Bellator tournament?
0: Yeah, but I just don't know what, because they've got them on kind of like top of the prelim card, and I don't know why they haven't got them on at like sort of 4 o'clock, you know, when nobody's there, when everyone's just still like, you know, having I don't know. Joe Solo's got like a weird sense of humor. Maybe it's like the, the difference in
1: body types.
0: Yeah, yeah like really tall, cool, skinny man against a short, round man. man. It's like you know the David Grant fight. I'm I'm interested. I'm in, I'm really interested to see where David Grant's at because you know I've seen him domestically. He had a bit of a charm, life getting through tough and everything. And, but I think he's got potential, you know. But I'm really interested now. He's like in the big leagues, as they say. How he get, how he's going to get on.
1: Yeah, I think Roland is a fun opponent for him, too. I do think it's going to be a little too tough for David Grant, just because I think Roland Lorm, he's too similar to David Grant, and I think he's a more dynamic grappler. He's, like, longer and ganglier, and he's just a really dynamic grappler. But uh, if David Grant can put any serious firepower on Roland is he's a guy that you can't hurt. He he doesn't have great defense. Um so I, I think there's chance for him to succeed, but I, probably, I think probably eventually roll the alarm. do some of what Chris Holdsworth did and eventually be able to take down the position, tap him out. But for as long as it lasts, like it should be an entertaining fight. They're both go-forward guys who are dynamic grapplers. They're guys who want to finish by submission. And because they're so like-minded, should produce some good scrap, scrap, scrappy grab, grappling exchanges up until, I think, Dorm probably taps him, but yeah, I think most people would probably, probably enjoy that more than Cyril Diabody versus Alir
0: Latifi. But look, they look like Mr. Man characters, just like, there's a charm to that. Uh, I mean, w- one thing that just puzzles me about the whole thing is like the UK, like the I, o- I almost met the worst kind of broadcasting error ever. And said the UFC have literally thrown money at the UK over the years, but. They have thrown a lot of money, figuratively, at the UK over the last seven, eight years, and now there's this idea they're going to be coming back to London all the time. They're going to be, and this is still a market they're trying to crack. They've got a lot of UK guys on the roster. What I don't really understand is, I, mean, I it's like I, I think Phil Harris, Danny Mitchell, David Grant, Brad Scott, Luke, Luke Barnett, definitely, you know on the undercard have got fighting chances of winning. But apart from Barnett, I believe they're all betting underdogs. And, you know, they all match really tough. And as somebody who goes to a lot of local shows and is like a long-time boxing fan, if you're trying to build somewhere, why don't you match the boys in, from the hometown a little bit easier?
1: Oh, so I see I see where you're going. I think you're yeah. angling for Kirby to get a UFC deal. You get kirk man. Yeah. So, yeah, alright. Get a bunch yeah. of yeah. Lithuanian dudes, get absolutely smashed in London all the time. Yeah, I'm, I'm picking, picking up your vibe. Up. I think I'm that could be a good. vibe. All, all,
0: all I'm saying is, is, is from a c- cynical old man point of view, as I am, it's kind of. you got Danny Mitchell on his debut. He's a very marketable guy. He's funny. Talks great. You know, he's got an interesting hairstyle. He'll do anything. You know, he's a black belt boxed a bit. He's a fun guy. right? Why do you match him up against somebody who's another... A, a spoiler. Winner? A day-ruiner. <laughs> <Either Arugio laughs> <or just> devoid <laughs>
1: of personality. Not a fun guy to watch fight. Just a guy who's going to take him down, hold him there and then, you know, thank Jesus and his training partners and get the hell out of there. On to the next.
0: Because at once, it? this is the 10th fight on a UFC card. If you brought in, like, Aurelius Kirpe, and said, you know, this guy is like a killer from, like, uh, like, the Baltic (laughs) States. And, like, you know, like, sort of, for the majority of people who turn up, (laughs) like, they'd buy that. You know, like, so, why not? And then, like, obviously, it'd be a bit big for Danny, but, you know, hopefully some kind of Kirby substitute you could get in there and get him to, like, you know, crush it. It's been the way of the world in combat sports, up until, like, recently. You know, if you have watched uh, a movie of the combat sports that lasted 24 hours, this idea of matching people fairly down to 10th on the undercard will be <laughs> the last five minutes, wouldn't it? You know, it's just, <laughs> it, ju- it just seems like, you know, the UFC is this slick marketing operation. They've got all these, like, sort of uh, Gary Cook... I have to say Gary Cook's a marketing genius at least three times in anything I do. Right? Contact like, your obligation, yeah. So you've got Gary Cook and and these, like, underlings, and they're, like, sort of, you know, he's just been on Talk Sport just before, sort of, talks, you and know, all that, and he's, like, you know, doing his, uh, talking his mid-Atlantic accent and saying his clichés and being a bit cagey, but just pushing forward this idea that this is the sport of the future and everyone's getting involved in that and then he's got his like, home roster who everyone's going to be cheering for and there is a chance I mean, I like I say I quite fancy the home guys in a lot of the fights but there's every chance they could lose whereas we're a bit of cheeking and tweaking and a bit of cynicism and a bit of just traditional combat sports jiggery-pokery you could have the crowd on the feet and all warmed up for the main card all waving flags singing Land of Hope and Glory and all that business <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm not, not going to disagree. disagree. I, I and mostly, I'm not, not going to disagree because I mostly agree with you. I think the problem is the USC like they have to choose a thing. The fact is, if they if they went like full bore transparent, look, we're trying to build this. If they made their cards look like a Bama card, probably get the crowd real lathery, and they could more effectively build guys. The problem is he doesn't have that model, and so they try to stay away from it. Um, People, the idea, the assumption is that people all over the world want some combination of big fights and seeing their countrymen succeed. And so the UFC try to kind of tailor it that way. The fact is that's not viable everywhere. There's not really enough great British fighters to have well-made, well-matched cards where a bunch of British guys are going to win. There's just not that many. Plain and simple. if, if, they, if they got honest about it and they did like a Gustafsson-Manua type fight and then the rest of it was like, uh-oh, here comes Tom Kong Watson. He's about to be up some poor Latvian guy. I, I think that'd be a decent idea. I mean, it would also help, I think, because they could show those guys more frequently. You would get the idea of just, all right, well... We're going, we're going back to Europe X amount of times this year, Y amount of cards in England. We'll just make sure we get these half dozen guys on all those cards. And if they really succeed, maybe next year we bring them to Vegas, give them some serious fights, but till then we let them build their local audience.
0: The UCS just have to
1: pick a thing. You know what I mean? Like if they want to keep going of the model of like cards like this, where everything's evenly matched, and even though you're letting guys fight in their own backyard and you're giving preference to signing international fighters everybody's getting the same style of matchmaking if you want to do that fine but understand it'll be a massive uphill battle because by doing what you're suggesting uh and what i would advocate doing some of yeah you can turn people into tom watson was a big deal with a lot of fans before he got to usc and tom watson is not a great fighter he's an exciting entertaining fighter with a personality He's exactly the kind of guy that could thrive in a situation like that, and be someone that we can even watch on network television, regardless of the caliber of opposition. I mean, Britain already has a tradition with watching boxers that are
0: absolutely terrible,
1: but that Britain just has a weird love-hate relationship with.
0: So I'm, I'm, don't, don't, just don't name the person you're going to name, or you're going to upset me. Oh, uh, <laughs> you. Uh, Oh, okay, who are were you gonna say, Jordan I was I was gonna I was gonna go
1: through the battery, but uh my all time favourite Danny. Old all day was my favourite.
0: Oddly though, oddly's up there. Oddly, man. Mate, you've got to have setbacks to have comebacks. And like the other the other day I was rocking my Audley Harrison Yes I Can, Yes I Can T shirt. A A forever. Yeah. So to get onto the main card. Like, is there any more, like, sort of that you want to give Gunnar Nelson? As he is actually on the main card.
1: I Oh, is he in fact? Is, uh, so, so does that make Diabati Latifi
0: on the main card too? Or am I just
1: looking at the bow? Either way, way.
0: The card Good. I've got, I said, I think Diabati Latifi might actually be on the le- main card. The card I've got in front of me says they're at the top of the prelims. But i got a sneaking suspicion that they are number five on the main card. Well, in that particular case, good. People should get to see Gunnar Nelson fight, and I think this is actually a better fight for him. I mean, obviously, like I said, this guy is a mystery wrapped in a
1: riddle, wrapped in whatever the hell else. This guy—it's just hard to get a read because I mean, you have a guy with a karate background from Iceland who basically just trains and hangs out with his dad, and he's just like, all right, I'm we'll gonna be a teenage MMA fighter, and he's really precocious and really good at the sport, and then decides, yeah, I'll take some time off, just get good at jiu-jitsu so he goes to like New Jersey and shit and hangs up with Henzo Gracie and John Donner gets his black belt goes to Abu Dhabi in Barcelona loses in the first round of his bracket only gets into the absolute because they're like oh we want a guy from Iceland we want to make a look international, we a guy from Iceland taps David Avalon, beats Jeff Munson, goes down spiritedly to Vinny Magalish. like who is this kid comes back to MMA smashing pull steady gets to the UFC, sensational debut against Marcus Johnson Kind of derailed by the injury and, I think, the George Santiago fight. So I don't think it's been a really uneven ride. You know, Prospects, you kind of expect like a, a linear progression or maybe in the case of a great prospect, like a, a dramatic kind of uh, logarithmic arch up. But with this guy, it's just been up, down, up, down. When are we going to actually see a coalesce? Because this guy can do everything independently. Gooder Nelson can wrestle well. He's a good technical striker. He's got the mental part down. He's like on some cold, icy, robotic, cerebral sang froid shit. He's got that together. And his jiu-jitsu is impactful. He's an outstanding guard passer. Very, very technical. Uh, Great off of his back. Dominant in taking positions on top. Good ground and pounder Good at getting mercy kills, submissions after he pounds guys down. But we actually just have to keep seeing his high-level guys. Omar well, Medov, I think, is a good look for him, though. Uh, the last fight out, um, not even just mentioning you know, the injury issue, but uh, George Santiago is a top look for Gunnar Nelson. That's by far the best guy he faced. But considering that Gunnar Nelson's I mean, his MO is that he wants to get guys down, pass their guard, ground and pound, dominant position, look for uh, a submission. George Santiago is a tough guy to do. George Santiago's got some problems as a fighter, most notably the fact that he has an atrocious chin, but he is not a bad technical grappler. In fact, that's his wheelhouse. He's never been tapped in his MMA career. He does not lack for that grappling acumen. And so I think it was hard for Gunnar Nelson. He's a hard, nasty man who's just willing to, to throw lumber lumbar and, and let the chips fall. But I don't think that gets it done against Gunnar Nelson. I think this is the kind of fight where he can look good. Uh, flex. Get a dominant position. Probably run a show from there. I think Gunnar Nelson looks good here. But I just want to keep seeing... Uh, consistent matchmaking. Like, I want to see this guy try to get at least two more fights in this year. This is a guy that needs uh, to actually have the chance to come out of the shell, put a full MMA game together, and become a contender because
0: individually all the composite pieces of a great MMA
1: fighter
0: exist within. Yeah. Yeah, well, obviously as, like, an MMA journalist, I'm, like, uh, on a bound to just, like, support Gunnar Nelson. It's, I think it, that is a contractual obligation, isn't it?
1: It just it feels, it feels right, you know what I mean? The, the world
0: feels more democratic
1: when there can just be a, a, a young prodigy from Iceland who, just with, with good training and a good support staff around him, I mean, this guy stays on his grind, just hanging out with his dad, hanging out with John Kavanaugh, getting better at MMA. But it's, it's useless to be a technical wizard at the gym back home in Iceland or in Ireland when you could potentially be doing it against welterweights in the UFC for Boku dollars, you know. If, I mean, dude, well, the welterweight division's in flux. Like, if Gunnar Nelson is going to be a thing, if he's going to be someone that trends on Twitter and that is, you know, a top ten, top five fighter that we're going to care about, now's the time. Because uh, Robert Lawler Esquire is making moves. Uh, Tyron Woodley could be staring down the barrel of a title shot. Guys who weren't necessarily, you know, uh, title threats a year ago. They're getting their act together. You know, Jay Shields and Hector Lombard are about to fight. One of those dudes can figure in. It's wide open. If Gunnar Nelson's going to be an MMA topic, if he's going to be an MMA poster
0: boy, make a move. Now's the time. Absolutely. Well, moving on from Iceland's ever greatest ever MMA fighter to, in my opinion, Britain's greatest MMA fighter of all time, Brad Pickett, a man who actually went away, learned how to wrestle, put that together with his boxing. Came a top-five guy, absolutely sensational. But I put it to you, Mr. Jordan Breen, on Saturday night, the Brad Pickett train gets derailed and he will be upset by 5-1 to one underdog Neil Siri. How do you respond to that?
1: Uh, well, I think as, as any, uh, not, not that, that
0: I would, I would ever, ever want to call myself a journalist, journalist. I, I think that,
1: that might be uh, overstating things, but, but as, a, as an inquisitive man, as a curious man, man as a man who likes a rational, rational argument, you, you come, come throwing, throwing such a bold claim out, I'm, I'm curious, curious what your rationale is. Why do you think 5 1 underdog Neil Sirius, KGI, man gets it done?
0: It just, if I came to this fight completely blind and I didn't know that Brad Pickett was a guy who'd spent such a long time at ATT building on an already impressive striking background to become a very good wrestler and become a guy who, if he continues at the same rate, and had not run into Barrow, could well have become bantamweight champion of the UFC, and if it all works out for him, he's very highly touted to become flyweight champion. It just looks to me, on paper, you're a 35-year-old guy, and like you used to fight up at featherweight, and now is the time that you're going to be fighting down at flyweight. You know, it's like, as an old boxing guy, it's like in boxing terms, if there was somebody who started their career almost as a welterweight and then sort of in the twilight of their career they decided to start fighting, you know, like featherweight. That's this is just insane. This cannot work out. He always looks very taut on the scales anyway. I think that if he makes weight tomorrow and like he's a professional guy, he's been at it for a long, long time. He will make weight, but I I talked to Neil Seary in Dublin last uh, Friday. He was very confident. He's a natural featherweight. No, sorry, natural flyweight. All his defeats are against, apart from Phil Harris, who's on the card, they're all against guys at higher weight, good guys as well who he's lost to, like people like James Doolan, Paul McVeigh. He's a solid flyweight. I don't think... Is ever gonna pull up any trees, but he can give any flyweight a fight. He's a durable guy, he can take a shot, he can certainly give a shot. His wrestling, maybe in all that, his jits is okay, he knows what he's doing on ground. I think that just it just do not make sense to me that somebody at this age can cut to flyweight. And if you just look at it from a betting point of view. If you've got a solid flyweight against somebody who's doing it for the first time at this age, and you put in all the factors, uh, Neil Series hard to stop. So it's like you know, it's, it's not going to be able to come out and blast him out. Even if he takes him down, I don't think he's going to pound him out. Series too smart. Is Brad Pickett going to have anything left in the tank after was like five minutes into a fight? After we're ten minutes into a fight, or? Is he going to have the punch resistance at this? There's so many question marks next to it. I have to go for Siri.
1: I co-sign with all of your worries and anxieties. I just don't. It's done for years. It's just taking fights with, hey, Like maybe someday I'll make the UFC. Reduce as often as I can. Let the chips fall. Uh, good for him. Kudos. But uh, I, I still think that if Pickett gets it done. If Pickett looks bad, I made the comparison on my serious show uh, yesterday that if it went bad for Brad Pickett, it probably was something like Rich Franklin, Jorge Rivera. Mm-hmm. It was the first time Franklin cut to 85. People just expected him to roll over Jorge Rivera. And because Jorge Rivera was tough workman-like, he put up, you know, a good 13 minutes of resistance and made it tough for Franklin. Maybe took a round off
0: him. I can see Neil Seary
1: having some success in the fight. But I think the thing that hurts here is if Brad Pitt comes out, looks sluggish. And the weight thing, you're right, it's the, the biggest issue. People naturally get heavier as they get older. It's the way it works. There's a reason that people tend in boxing over the last 50, 60 years to move up in weight as they age. Simple. MMA tend to work in reverse because guys always start in whatever weight class and then as they kind of realize how the sport works, learns how to cut weight, they pare down. And it's not necessarily conducive to success. I mean, Brad Pickett, I'm talking to people saw him in the gym, he's like 140 and pretty much strapped off. So I'm curious what he looks like on the scales and, and how he performs from a physical perspective. But I think... Style-wise, it's a good matchup. Neil Sears is a tough guy who can throw on the feet, and I don't think, uh, unless Pickett was like horrifically dehydrated and Neil Sears just like, cracked him in the body with a kick or something like that, uh, I, don't, I don't see how Neil Sears gets it done here, because I do think Pickett, if stuff started going poorly or was even a bit frustrating. I think he just takes him down. Pickett's good on top. I don't think he's going to pound him out, but I can see him ground-pounding enough to you know, be able to move, scramble, move the legs by, take the back. I can see Pickett finishing by submission. Uh, but bare minimum, I think he just grinds his on top. Even if, even if he doesn't look good, gets tired, and is kind of struggling at fighting his flyweight legs, I think the wrestling is still enough to insulate him from anything that Syria has to offer. He should clean up that way. Long term, though, I mean, it's an issue. I mean, if, he, if this was Ian McCall that he was fighting, and Ian McCall didn't pull out, and uh, Brad Pickett showed up and looked physically bad, I mean, Ian McCall is the kind of guy that would revel in that, which is but like kick the share of him and go to town. But I just don't think Neil Siri is that guy. The question is how good is Pinkett physically? What is it portent for 10th the future? Because they want him to fight for a title. Mm-hmm. They, don't, yeah. they have no one at Flyway other than John Dodson who they can have fight Demetrius Johnson and has any level of buzz. Now, Dotson already fought and lost. Hell, Pickett actually fought and won. Ruined his WC debut. I had money on Demetrius Johnson. Brian Pickett ruined it for all of (laughs) them. So there's there's definitely a uh, a natural built-in heat there that I'm sure they'd love to push. Fact of the matter, at this point in time, and again, we'll see what he looks at flyweight, but I can't imagine a flyaway Brad Pickett beating Demetrius Johnson. In fact, I can see a flyweight Brad Pickett getting stopped by Demetrius Johnson the way both men are
0: proceeding. Okay. Right. Uh, Michael Johnson v. Melvin Gillard is a fight that puzzles me. Wait, don't puzzle me, but Rob,
1: Ross, Pier- Ross Pearson got hurt. Where, where's where's <laughs> the puzzle?
0: Yeah, but why why did there have to be a rematch with a Ross Pearson fight anyway?
1: Because it was,
0: it was inconclusive. We didn't get an actual <laughs> result. We got to do it all over again. Okay, yeah. And it was such a, like, crucially important fight to the pecking order of MMA. We, none of us would have been able to sleep without knowing who wins between Pearson and Gallard. So that had to be a rematch. I'll, okay, I'll get it now. All right, I've got it. So so, so, what would your better it, idea have been? So, so let's, let's say Ross Pearson wouldn't have got her
1: and right, he got a different, different opponent on this card. Who, who should, should Ross Pearson have fought?
0: No, I mean, like, it's, it's not necessarily about that. But, like, the, the way it was sold is like, you know, there has to be a rematch. This has to be sorted out. And, you know, I'm not not—I'm not saying Gallard v. Pearson in the fun fight. You know, that's why we're booked in the first place. See, I, I, think, I think this, think this is, is just like a, a – this is the difference as men. Like, I'm one of these
1: dudes. Like, like I don't, I don't let, let people quit risk. risk. Like, like, when risk, risk gets down risk. to – like risk is fun. when There's six people. It gets down to two every turn takes an hour. You're just trading armies back and forth. It's like attrition. It gets boring. I don't care. I think people roll it out. I don't give a damn. You're gonna finish that board game. <laughs> I finish. I finish. I finish when I start. I like resolution. I, I want. I want to know. And you know what? I'll go one further. I'm gonna be mad if Melvin Gallard wins and they don't remake the Ross fight again. In fact. I would, I would go as so far as to say I want Ross Pearson to fight the winner of this regardless. <laughs> this is this is
0: this is this is a, a
1: title eliminator for the Ross
0: Pearson title. Who wants it? Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I really, I really, it's a it's a fight. I've really I've looked down the card. I can really sort of get into a fight, break it down, talk about it. Really, Michael Johnson with Melvin Gillard, it leaves me cold. I don't know why. You know, like, Melvin Gillard's obviously an exciting guy. You know, Johnson's, like, sort of, in many ways, a tougher opponent than Pearson. But it just doesn't raise my hackles at all. No, I
1: can, I can, I can, I can kind of get that. Get that. I, I, feel I
0: feel where you're coming from. from. I, I think the Michael Johnson, Johnson,
1: part of it is that there's just, just, like, a guarded optimism. optimism because sometimes the, the guy looks like a million bucks, and you're like, oh, this guy's, guy's got, got shit together. together. And, and then, then sometimes, sometimes he comes up, and you're like, wait, what? You let Raza Madotti <laughs> tap you like that? But like you <laughs> let Miles you let Miles' jury take you down like twenty times and you lost every single round? Like what are you doing, dog? So like you just never really have a sense of what you're gonna get with Michael Johnson. Melvin Gillard, is uh, predictably unpredictable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Michael Johnson's unpredictably unpredictable. Like we we know we know what modes Melvin Gillard has. You know what I mean? Melvin Gillard, if he wins. He's going to go out, he's going to land a big-time straight punch or a big hook or a big uppercut, and he's going to follow up with fire, or he's going to land a big flying knee and follow up with fire. We know what a Malvin Gallard victory would pretty much look like. Likewise, if Malvin loses, we know he's going to get clipped, fall down, and get swarmed on, or we know he's going to get clipped, fall down, and get tapped. You know? Maybe if he's in, like, Old-school Melvin, Greg Jackson, Mike Wickeljohn mode. Maybe he circles away for a while and tries to win a bullshit decision. But we pretty much know all the modes we're getting with Melvin. I mean, Michael Johnson, I, I, just, I just don't know. I, I, think, I think he's got all the chances to stop Melvin. He hits hard enough to, to locate him, tap him, and follow up. He can use some good ground and pound on Melvin. Can keep him down, although Melvin's very good at getting up off the ground. More importantly, if he takes Melvin down and Melvin tries to scramble, he can take his back and tap him. Michael is a good positional grappler. He's good in mount. He can take the back. He's a decent finisher that way. Uh, Melvin, because he's so quick to jump up and because he turns his back when he does it, he's a guy you can jump on and tap to a million times. I would not be surprised to see Michael Johnson finish him at all. But I agree. In spite of the fact that we're basically forecasting, like, oh, kind of anything could happen. Either guy can get a stoppage. It isn't a fight that kind of makes your soul sick. Yeah.
0: And now to, to the main event, The one that's been like sort of trailed for months and months. And another one that I find puzzling. Puzzling in many, many ways. Alexander Gustafsson, as you said, who were in the greatest light heavyweight fighter of all time, possibly the greatest fight of all time against John Jones. Just waiting for his rematch with John Jones and he's fighting uh, Jimmy the poster boy Manua. Uh, What I'm... Fascinating to your take on this, Jordan. I'd like you to go first on this because, like I say, I'm puzzled by it. Uh,
1: I, I, I'm <laughs> guessing I know why you're puzzled by it. I like the fight because it's like it's, no. it's a good. Well, okay. See, I'm of two minds. It sucks <laughs> for Jimmy Manuel. Like, plain play simple. Because t- to what we talked about before, you're trying to flesh out a European market. This dude's the poster boy. He was the homie for uh, uh, what you <laughs> call whatever.
0: UCM. Dave O'Donnell's, yeah,
1: UC whatever the hell, um, old old cage ball. He was he was the face of cage ball. What was that thing called? Cage ball, ball, ultimate ball. ball? Also, <laughs> he was the ultimate ball FC king. And uh, so, like, I understand why it would totally make sense to to let uh, Jimmy Manoa be the second to last guy on the card and let him plunk someone half decent and probably cause them some kind of bodily injury by punching them, which is a Rare, unique talent that he has. However, this to me is still in a larger span of things, just an overall 205-pound food chain, the overall MMA uh,
0: ecosystem.
1: It's a good, honest, showcase fight. Um, it's a tried-true boxing thing that, you know, you, you got to rematch. You don't always have to do that immediately one. I know some people favor the immediate rematch. Fact of the matter is, Glover Shares is a good, honest test for John Jones. That's a legitimate title defense, even though Jones is probably going to fall. Likewise, Jimmy Manwood deserves to get into a big fight. He's an undefeated puncher who's earned his keep in MMA. And the dude's not getting any younger; he's in his mid-thirties. So if he's going to make a move again, the time is out. Now, do I think he should be sacrificed up to Alexander going to be that tune to fight? knowing that he's a guy that he could potentially leverage and make a more interesting commodity for a British market, for a Euro market. No, he's not ideal in that way. But taking, like, like just this fight in a vacuum, uh, if you get a guy like and take away the fight pass angle as well, just as a fight itself, you got a guy like in, who's probably, um, at worst, one of the three best light heavyweights in the world, uh, you get this guy coming into a showcase fight. They want him to fight John Jones again. They want to ensure that that's a fight outcome that they can get for later this year to rematch one of the best fights in MMA history in last year's fight of the year. This is a good honest way to do it. Um, I want to see that fight, but I, I, it would be lame to watch Alexander Kassist just collect a paycheck against a body. I mean, you can see Jimmy Manu as a body if you want, but Jimmy Manua is actually a decent fighter who can punch, who can defend himself. I think he's going to lose, and I think he's probably going to get stopped. But this is this is a fight that is at least appropriate in that kind of showcase realm. They could have gone, you know, all out. I mean, we could have got Ryan Bader here or some shit like that. We're just like, oh god, really? We got we got to do the Bader thing again. Yeah, like,
0: so- I, I totally agree with your analysis of the fight. I mean. I've been on uh, Sherdog shows in the past and routinely tipped Jimmy Manua to lose, but he has proved himself to be a lot better than I thought he were. He's I agree. Like, like I, watching, watching watching him come, come up, up um, he, he just seemed, seemed like one, one of those guys. guys. He always fights yeah. in the same
1: mode, and I do not say, say he never, never showed killer instinct, instinct but, like, but like the way he broke guys down like, over his first ten fights, you know, he's just so much better than them. These guys are just like you know, professional hard men who are used to taking beatings, and they just have no ability to deal with a guy like this. So it kinda seemed like there would be a natural ceiling for him when he got to the UFC, but he's one of those guys that has just kept the train rolling and has got better and better at doing mean, he's just become a better takedown defender, he's become a better boxer. And I think the big thing for him, he's just got better at like managing himself. He was a guy that early on. I mean he was fighting like one round usually, sometimes the second round, but was still getting tired just beating the shit out of the guys for four minutes. Uh, he seems to have like a better sense of like how to pace him now. I think you saw uh, some of that in the Jimmo fight. Even, Even against
0: better opposition, he can take his time, land hard punches go gas himself up. Yeah. so like I said, he's a lot better than I thought he were. I just dismissed him as somebody who were a can crusher, and as soon as he stepped up, he was going to get found out. But for all the reasons you say, he's proved himself to be much, much better than people thought he were on first, first look. So now there's a possibility to put him in a competitive fight against somebody in the lower top ten, somebody who matches up well with. But instead, I see him kind of being served up to Gustafsson as a keep busy fight, <clears throat> which is fair enough, for, you know, it happens in boxing all the time. But the hype that's been built on, like, on the BT sports shows and stuff, it's like, you know, get behind Jimmy, you know, like Jimmy, can he do it and everything. And the whole, like you know, they had a live audience in the studio on BT Sport, Beyond the Octagon last week, you know, getting them all to cheer for Jimmy and everything. So it's this idea that is he's been built up that he can hit twice as hard as everyone else. He's this superhuman guy, and he's can actually, like, got a real chance of pounding out Gustafsson. And then the, Forrest Griffin were a guest, and Forrest Griffin kind of broke down the reasons why I believe this is not a tremendously competitive fight because uh by the way Forrest Griffin you want you want a guy to come in your studio show and kind of give the local underdog
1: a, a, a hope or whatever Forrest ain't your guy Forrest <laughs> is going to show up and be like yeah your boy's gonna get his ass
0: kicked yeah but that was pretty much it you know he, he referred to like you know the wrestling exchanges in the Phil Davis fight you know and like sort of uh, the John Jones fight aspects of that and just like, you know, pointed out Gustafsson's wrestling, the fact that he can take a shot, you know, and everything and just broke it down and then it just kinda of moved on to the next person and were like, Whoa, Jimmy, yeah, woo Jimmy, yeah, Jimmy's gonna <laughs> get it done and everything, you know. And it it were everyone who took Jimmy were getting a big clap and that and then Forrest sort of did a very intelligent breakdown uh why he thought Alex and Gust- why he thought Jimmy were a good guy, but why he thought Gustafsson was You know, and it's a fair point of view, as he has just sort of fought five rounds, which many people thought he won against somebody who a lot of people believe is the greatest mixed martial artist of all time. You know one thing one thing that should also be broached though is the fact that like there's there's a there's a a weird middle gap in the
1: light heavyweight division division that people don't uh, talk about or they ignore or whatever. And it's unfortunate because like the fact of the matter is that gap is kind of almost taken up by Bellator. Because Mm -hmm. like all the top 205 fivers are in the UFC. Like, your top 10 light heavyweights, John Jones, Phil Davis, Alexander Gustafson, Rashad Evans, Blounte Teixeira, Dan Cormier, Rogerio Noguera, Dan Henderson, whoever. Uh, those guys are pretty much in the UFC. Emmanuel Newton, Attila Vague, these kind of, like, you know, top 10 to top 20 kind of guys, they're pretty much the domain of Bellator. So what ends up happening is, the UFC, you have, like, your, your high, like, super elite tier, and then you have your guys below it, like, you know... Ogerio Nogueira and, uh, you know, I guess like Chael Sonnen, Ryan Bader, guys like that. And then there's just this massive drop-off. And that hurts, guys, like Jim Manuel coming up. Because it's like, you go from Ryan Jimmo and really Like, you can obviously find other people for him to fight. But they need to fight for Alexander Gustafson. They need to find somebody. You end up being Johnny on the spot because you won a couple fights in a row. You've looked impressive. You're undefeated.
0: If there was more
1: options in that middle ground. I mean, he might not be in this position. but The fact is there's a weird gap like light like light heavyweight always has very strong depth at the very very top. There's always like four or five six seven guys that have some star power that people care about because it's always been a star division in a man that people have really have been magnetized to. It's just been that way for over a decade, 15 years going on pretty much now. But that that kind of that that stuff that middle ground that allows contenders to emerge get a nice natural progression up, it's, it's not there as much as you'd like. Um, there's only so many like James Tahunas and Anthony Parashas and stuff like that that you can actually make your bones against the USC before you start fighting elite guys. And I think the, the best outcome for Jimmy Mann was if he goes out and just acquits himself well, if he can take a round off, go sit center and compete and he ends up getting tapped, you know, like in the latter half of the fight or something like that, or pounded out, and is able to just, like, carry himself well and, and look like he belongs in the ring with uh, a guy who could very well be good enough to win the ufc lightweight title. If that's the case, I think he probably gets treated well next time. I mean, he probably gets to fight again in Europe, and he probably gets, like, you know, your Ovin saint Prue Nikita Krylov winner or a guy who just lost a fight but is also, you know, in a, in a decent position or something like that. He probably gets... Uh, a better, more preferential matchup next time. Now. Because if he is able to show any real class and caliber against Gustafson, uh, I, think, I think owing to the fact that 205 has that strange gap in the middle, they would be, they'd be keen to optimize it. I think they would definitely look to kind of do more of what we're talking
0: about with Juton Manuel, But he's got to go out and at least show that he's got a little something uh, to actually warrant that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I find it odd to say but there's the, the one obvious way he can win. He, like, sort of... Gustafsson drops his guard and Jimmy, like, sort of drops him with one shot. But I really don't see that happening. As, you know, Gustafsson, as we say, is, like, an elite mixed martial artist. He knows what Jimmy's got. And despite all this, like, talk of superhuman strength, is surely going to be able to deal with it. So I can't see anything but a Gustafsson win. But i I just... I think that Jim is gonna do okay. I think he'll get through a round or two. And so I, I sense I sense it'll be like frustrating for him to some extent because
1: he's he's a, a well-built 205, he's a thick guy, yeah. but he's not like long and rangy. and he's a tight puncher. Like he's a guy that throws a lot of hooks, uppercuts, doesn't have a super long jab. Gustafson's big, he's long, he kicks, he jabs. So I suspect the feeling out process might actually be fairly problematic for Jimmy. We'll actually get to see pretty quickly like what he's made of and how he's going to attack this. Because I suspect that'll be the big hurdle for him to overcome. If system can just start moving around and doing his thing instead of takedowns, it could get bad fairly quickly. So I'm curious to seeing uh, how the poster boy exactly approaches the stand-up since I think that figuring out process will be pretty difficult for him and at least put Gusterson in the driver's seat pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, I'm curious because so there's rumored to be two and a half thousand Swedes coming over to London for the fight. and I, I I'm mean, ju- I'm just, I, I, would I would anticipate, anticipate such, such a thing. thing. I mean, when, I when he bought John Jones, Jones in Toronto, there was hundreds of Swedes there. Swedes they there. got to income. Blanca. Blanca. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, like, in a, the Swedes are the only people who come to London and think the beer's reasonably priced. You know, that's like, <laughs> so, geez, you go to Stockholm and it's just ridiculous. You know, like, sort of, like, Andover... Wheelbarrow full of notes for a thimble full of ale, you know, it's terrible. So I'm, I'm quite sure a few will come over, but you just never know, do you, when it's like the hype machine and thing? It's like, you know, he's a national hero in Sweden, and like, you know, these uh, thousands of people are going to come and see him, and like, you know, maybe it's just going to be like one or two. You just never, never know. Well, um, we'll see. We'll see how richly the uh, Trey Carner is represented in the crowd. I suspect they come. Like I said, like I saw so many
1: Swedes in Toronto. That if, I mean, you're going transatlantic, and that was for a fight. That was for a fight that most people thought was going to be his ass kicked. Yeah. Like, <laughs> let's go. Let's go watch our boy. He like marched to his death against John Jones, and they still made the trek across the ocean. So I can only imagine to watch him style. On Jimmy Manua that uh, more homies yeah. might yeah. show up, especially, especially given,
0: given the, the much, much more expendable ride over to London. Sure. Uh, well, anyway, I'll be there. I, w- I will be there amongst the hordes in blue and yellow, in no doubt with Viking helmets. And well, I think that's pretty much what Swedes do when they go to football matches—just the blue and yellow and the Viking helmets. So I'll be like in the midst of them on Saturday night. Jordan, I'm sure you'll be uh, following it from. Uh, the comfort of your own home, or whatever. I suppose pe- bars don't show it anymore when it's quite past, does it? Oh, but dude, would I really? You, you think? You, you think, think I'm the kind of person of with patience who suffers fools gladly and have to be hanging in a bar watching the UFC? See, over, see over, over this side of the pond, we dream of one day going to a pub that has the UFC on. You know, oh, see, so, we, see, we, it's, it's it's complex here, like, dude. Real talk, I. Uh...
1: The biggest street in Canada and one of the busiest sections of it. And, and across, across the street from me, directly across the street, there is an upscale sushi bar that always has UFC posters
0: and always shows USC. So You get the shit all over the place here. See, we're all just like solitary loners, just stuck, you know, like sort of at five a.m. in the morning, like vampires, like <laughs> watching this nonsense on his own, like you know. And we dream of the day when it's on like a time when we can actually go out with normal people in a pub even normal people who shout like punch him in the face like you know like put him in a body bag and all that Like we dream of that like being part of normal society
1: <laughs> i uh, i can't imagine what it's like to to be a hardcore like you know out there somewhere there are some dude in hungary French. russia hong kong philippines Mongolia in a yurt with a weird <laughs> Wi-Fi connection. Somewhere, there's people all over the Gabo that have seen like the last bazillion UFCs live, or if they've missed any, have missed very few. And uh, those people are just thinking, don't you have any other hobbies? <laughs> what are you doing? Why? Why? Like that's that's really to, to bring the conversation full circle. The UFC schedule is such now that like, if you want to still enjoy MMA and keep your sanity as a person, you just gotta skip a few, or at least parts of cards. You know
0: what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, uh, I'll be there with normal people. Like I think there's going to be about fifteen, sixteen thousand there O2 on Saturday night. You'll be old up in your bunker watching it on your whatever you watch it on. But thanks a lot, Jordan. You've been like fantastic guest, and uh, cheers, mate. Always a pleasure, sir. Enjoy yourself in London.